Well, one of the downsides about getting up early to hike the Camino is that sometimes you get into town so early they won't let you into your room. So, here I am, four hours early before we get into our room. So let's go ahead and use this time well. Let's get into the podcast. Okay, folks, I wanted to give a bit of an update on how the actual Camino is going here. Um, several folks had asked, what are, what are the big takeaways? What are the lessons that you're learning on the Camino so far? So we have just completed day 12. As I mentioned on the introduction, I am in Burgos, which is the largest city of the region. And it was a wonderful hike today. So uh, several people have asked about how my back's doing. Well, as it turns out, I, I don't think I hurt my back. I actually think it was like my glute muscle that connects to my hip, which feels like it's the back. A bunch of people sent me uh, these stretches that focus particularly on that, and I felt almost immediate relief. So it's been uh, several days now since I dealt with any of that, and I would say I'm probably about 80%. I still have some pain, but none of it is prohibitive in terms of any kind of walking. So today I did 18 miles, and at the end of the day, I'm actually feeling great. So in terms of physically going well, but let's jump back into these lessons. What am I learning on the Camino so far? We're a third of the way through the Camino, and here's a couple of observations. The first one I would say is um, just the power of a shared experience. Uh, you, you build quick relationships with the people that you meet on the Camino because you've been through the same things. You're in these small towns and you see people hobbling around you see people with knee braces. You see people tending to their blisters. You see people stretching in all sorts of weird positions. And you know exactly what they've been through to experience that. You, f you feel it yourself. And so there's, some, there's a profound sort of bonding moment. When you're wandering around the albergue, uh, the hostel, uh, you just you just see people and you just have this smile on your face, particularly when it's um it's hot or it's really hilly. You just sort of give it give each other this look where you're like that one was brutal, wasn't it? And when you're having meals and meeting new people, you normally talk about the first day hiking over the mountains and how physically prepared you were. So there's just this deep shared sense of having done something hard together, and it, was, it actually reminded me a little bit of. Knowing God, the introduction to knowing God by J.R. Packer, where he talks about um, those who observe the road from above as opposed to those who actually walk the road, the difference between knowing about and the experience of. And I've been thinking about that a lot. I'd heard people tell me about the Camino this, the Camino that, but now having done it, a little bit of it, I'm like, I know what they're talking about. So I think there's tremendous power in shared experience that I'm really enjoying. Second lesson I'm learning is uh, on the nature of pilgrimage itself. There's a verse in that first Peter 2, one of the first verses I memorized. It says, Beloved, I beg you as sojourners and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lusts which war against the soul. And as a new believer, I think that was maybe the third verse I memorized. But I used to think a lot about this idea of being a pilgrim and a sojourner, somebody who was passing through. And you definitely see this, and this definitely makes sense uh, when you're out here on the Camino. Sometimes you'll see people hiking, and it looks like they seriously, they look like snails. They look like they have these giant 
homes on their back. It's just unreal. And they're carrying these huge backpacks. And once you've done a, a, an 18 mile day, you start literally thinking, what can I throw away? So far, we've thrown away two pairs of pants, two pairs of shoes, um, some t-shirts, and we're constantly asking, what can we get rid of to make the burden lighter? And when you're a pilgrim and you, you're basically carrying what you can, any extra weight feels unnecessary. So I'm definitely getting this profound sense um, of just the nature of the Christian life. Uh, Nate and I have jokingly referenced The Pilgrim's Progress several times on this, but that's a book that you talk about, but to actually experience it as a pilgrim has been very, very rich. So I've been enjoying this idea of just being a sojourner and a pilgrim and walking along thinking about the path to eternity, walking with God, the Christian life. It's it's done, it's like a rich, beautiful, living parable I'm feeling in my heart. Another thing I've learned is on the futility of worldly ambition. When I was in Nahare, um, I spent one evening just praying by a river, and I just had this very, very transcendent encounter with God, where I just, it's hard to explain, but I, I just had this awareness that people have been sitting in this spot for over a thousand years on this journey. And I just sort of saw the parade of history. You know, all of the people that have lived, all of the people that have gone through this, and I just was aware of the shortness of my life and the futility of worldly ambition in light of eternity. And this verse just sort of, I don't want to say floated out of the clouds, but it just appeared in my mind. And it's a verse that says, The world and its desires pass away, but the one who does the will of God will live forever. And I just got caught up in this, this vision of saying, God, I want all worldly ambition in my heart to be removed. And I just want to live for that which matters. I just want to play my tiny role in your story. And I was just really grateful for that space because if I wasn't you know, taking this break in the middle of the summer, there's very, very few moments where I get to sit down by a river and just contemplate in one of those thin places. So the futility of worldly ambitions been something very important to me. And last thing I would say is uh, the secularization of our culture, but the retaining of a longing for transcendence. So far, uh, we've probably met, I don't know, between 50 and 100 people all up. And I've only met one true Catholic one person who's actually doing this for the traditional reasons. Everybody else is doing it for some sort of reason. Uh, one girl has just come out as gay and wanted to sort of reinvent herself, reinvent herself on a, on a walk. Another couple are doing it for the second time because it provides them a sense of meaning in the, the reality of their normal lives. Somebody's mother died and she wanted to walk to honor her memory. So there's people with all of these deep, deep longings for transcendence, but none of it's rooted in traditional religious framework. And so a lot of uh, the churches, you know, for them, the churches are not places of worship. They're just uh, places of history. And whenever Nate and I talk, you know, share our faith or whatever, they're always kind of shocked. You can almost viscerally sort of see the surprise. What would make you want to be a pastor, particularly Nate, if they say, you know, you're going to go to university, what do you want to study? And he says, I want to study theology. They just don't have a grid for a father and a son, pastor, uh, someone who wants to study theology, walking the Camino together. So it's really fascinating to be in a traditionally 
religious place and feel like the outsider. So the secularization of culture and longing for transcendence. So, so far, those are the things I would say have been my key takeaways, what I've learned a third of the way in, and uh, definitely more to come. Okay, I've had a couple of folks send in some questions here. And so this next little section is going to be me responding to those questions. So I'm going to go ahead and play it and then answer it. Hey, John, my name is Daniel Briggs. I'm from Tulsa, Oklahoma, longtime listener of your sermons. And I'm very encouraged for the Primal Path program to be coming out and released soon as you return from your journey on the Caminos. Um, I do have a few questions about the next steps following the Primal Path program. What type of a vision do you foresee graduates of the program, and in particular, Nate? Um, what type of a vision would you see for them in that next crucial point in life as they enter young adult life? And secondly, I think there's often a disparity between vision and execution. So does the primal path take steps to prepare young men for uh, the often translation error that comes from vision and execution um thanks for taking the time to listen to questions and update um us through your journey thanks thanks john hey daniel thanks for sending you a question in mate i thought i would just hand this over to nate just to get his response to your question first and then i'll answer it so this is your boy nate jay yeah so the vision after completing the primal path would just be continuing to walk out the things that i've learned um there's no practical next step because there's like you can't see the future so you're not going to know how to use the information until it comes up and you're like oh I've actually I've been prepared I've been trained for this and drawing back on that knowledge rather than just continuing to go forward blindly but instead drawing on that source of identity and strength of, of knowing what it means to be good at being a man and just following out of that okay that's Nate's answer here's my answer to that question um, I hope what I've tried to do is build a relational connection with Nate, who's sitting next to me right now. And um, the goal has been to connect our hearts, connect our vision. Uh, I want him to know that I'm here for him. You know, one of the phrases I said to him repeatedly was that if anything happens in your life, rather than hiding in shame, you should always think my dad can help me with that. And so I've wanted to have an instinct where he come, runs to me rather than hides from me, all that sort of stuff. So I spent years trying to work on that. But after the primal path, which I think, I mean, Nate basically is coming to the end of it right now. I'm hoping to transition to basically adult friendship. And so rather than me being in a position of authority, which I'll always have some sort of chronological authority in Nate's life, but when he's a grown man, I still want to basically have a friendship with him. Now, in terms of speaking into his life, there's three areas that I would try and consciously exert influence in. The first one is in his walk with God, praying for him, encouraging him, being there to answer any questions, trying to be a source of wisdom and inspiration and modeling you know, a, a godly life to him. So I want to, I want to speak into his faith. Second area is I want to, I want to speak into who he marries. Um, you know, obviously who you marry has a major impact on your life. So I want to be able to just walk with him and provide counsel and wisdom related to that. And the third area is vocation, helping him figure out God's call on his life as he navigates the college years and then enters into the workforce. I've spent a lot of time studying a theology of faith and work, 
And I think it's one of the great areas where we get tremendous joy uh, is knowing why we were born and using our vacation to serve the kingdom of God. So those are the, the transition. I want to transition to adult friendship and I want to help him in those three areas, his walk with God, helping him discern uh, the process of who he marries, just being able to be a voice of influence to that. And then lastly, what he does vocationally. So that's what I'd say. Um, and then, yeah, through the college years, just maintaining and building on the relationship that we've worked on. So I'm very, very hopeful about that. I think Nate's very hopeful about that. But I really appreciate you uh, listening and also answering or asking a question. So thanks very much, mate. Hey, John and Nate. Um, this is Maria from Chicago. Um, I've been listening along to your journey and really uh, enjoying hearing about your adventures and just some of the insights you've shared along the way. Um, I have two small children, uh, six and two, and um, the six-year-old is a girl. And I'm curious if your wife is walking your daughter through any sort of similar intentional path towards adulthood um, as I look ahead to the future with my daughter. I'm, I'm curious if there is a process that you... Uh, would recommend or just any advice you could offer for mothers and daughters. Um, praying for you guys and wish you many blessings along the way. Well, hey, Maria, thank you so much for listening in. I really appreciate that. And you've asked the question I always get asked. What are you doing for your daughter? What's your wife doing for your daughter? And I kind of joke, hey, man, let me just get my son through this thing first. As soon as I talk about the primal path, people are immediately like, like, what about women? And I'm like, look, I'm just trying to, I'm just trying to deal with my son first. So I say that uh, sort of facetiously. Uh, thank you for asking. Um, yes, so my wife is doing something with my daughter. And uh, it's, it's, it's super intense. And, but it's very, very different. You know, uh, I believe that there are intrinsic and fundamental differences, obviously, between men and women. And, uh, you know, women mature faster than men, not just often physically, but also emotionally. And uh, so her process has been very different. Um, you know, I'll just, I'll tell you how she kicked it off. And I hope this isn't TMI, but look, this is a pretty honest sort of little podcast we've got going here. When my daughter had her period... My wife gathered a bunch of women from our church and she put up all of these rites of passage about how women were welcomed into the community of women when they had their period from all over the world. And so they basically went around and looked at this great process. And then uh, all of these women prayed over my daughter and they talked about womanhood and they had this whole ceremony. I mean, I, I don't even know I was barred from it. It was secret women knowledge. That's all I've been able to gather about what happened there. But uh, it was like really, really intense. So my wife is uh, uh, walking her through something. I've developed something um, that a father can take his daughter to uh, through that I'm just simply calling at this stage 50 pieces of my heart. And it's 50 key deposits I think every father needs to make into the life of his daughter. So that's what I'm doing. It's not as intense as the primal path. It's not as, it's certainly strategic, but it doesn't have as many connection points. You know, Nate seemed to just respond really well. And I think there is something uh, 
in the male psyche that responds to the high level of challenge. I spend a lot more time just listening and talking with my daughter than I do trying to motivate her or push her and that sort of stuff. So yes, there is something coming. We are working on that now. And uh, I would just encourage you while you've got little kids, just do micro versions of everything. Connect with them, love them, challenge them, inspire them, pray for them, pray over them. And uh, you're probably doing all of that stuff already. But yes, it's on the way. My wife is doing something with my daughter. She will put that out at some point. My daughter's 16. And uh, I'm doing something for fathers and daughters called 50 Pieces of My Heart, 50 Key Deposits. Every father should make it in the life of the daughter. So watch out for that. It's probably three years away from now, maybe four years away from now as uh, we're still finishing that stuff up. The Primal Path will be coming out when I get back from this trip. So thanks so much for listening in and grace and peace to you. To note, several other folks very graciously submitted questions, but I felt like I'd already covered them uh, in previous episodes. So I just want you to know, folks, I did get them, uh, but I didn't want to just do too much repeat on here. Also, I'd like to say a massive thanks to one of my oldest New York friends, Vicky Smeritano, who very graciously sent us $100 for a night in a hotel. Vicky, thank you. I'm so touched. You have been such a dear friend uh, over the years, and Nate and I really appreciate that. Okay, I'm going to leave you with a little bit of a sound of a street festival, and then I'll be back with another episode in the next couple of days. Peace. I'm not sure if you can get a sense of how loud everything is here, but I'm in the middle of a crowd of what feels like probably 20,000 people, and there's a parade going into the cathedral. All of the bells are ringing. People are dressed to the nines. I mean, this city is on fire. Anyway, all the sights and sounds of the Camino, people.